host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Thomas Drance. Tom, what's going on on this lovely Christmas morning for us here on the PDO cast? <laughs> oh, man, I'm very, very excited. I feel like, I'll be honest with you, every time we do this show now, first of all, I'm, I'm thrilled to do it. it. It's my favorite show of the year. But secondly, I feel this like pressure to come up with complete insanity. And I feel like I'm a little worried. I'm going to manage expectations. I'm going to do the classic like hockey executive thing, fake hockey executive in this case, manage expectations and just be like, you know, if everything goes my way, I'll bring about 60% of the same level of zaniness that I've brought to my fake trades on previous in previous years. I get the feeling that you're being too hard on yourself. You're being a self-critic here because I, knowing you, you're going to deliver. And I think maybe your baseline for what you think is zany might be different for the common listener at home. So I, we're going to test that. I don't have any, I don't have any like Maxim Mammon blockbusters is all I'm saying. Well, that was a Haley's Comet situation as well. I don't think <laughs> we should expect that to be replicated every year. Also joining us here today is my good pal, Jack Fraser, bringing my worlds together here. Tom, my colleague at the Sportsman Radio Network. Jack, my colleague at EP Ringside. Jack, what's going on, man? Oh, not a lot. Uh, just enjoying the fact that a trade dropped literally the second we started recording, as is tradition. What was the trade? Uh, Chris Tanev is a, a Dallas star. Oh, look at that. Well, that's interesting, because that'll certainly, uh, as the trade call is pending, uh, Rear LeBron says second round pick, young prospect, and conditional pick going to the Flames. We'll we'll loop in. I've got a various trades on Chris Tadev as well, but I think they're still going to be holding true to form because we're going to tie in other factors as well. Uh, but this is exciting. As I was saying, Christmas morning for us, we get to finally open all our presents. As excited as we are, though, Tom, let me tell you, the listeners are right there with us. I've had a number of people the past couple of weeks impatiently messaging me. Uh, about how they're just jonesing for this year's edition of the trades. We like to see extravaganza. And so if you haven't listened to past versions, you probably should go and listen to them because I think they still probably hold up from an entertainment factor perspective. But the plan is, uh, and I think this is our third year doing this together with the three of us, the refresher for the rules is it's going to be a two-parter. We're going to take turns going around and pitching the group on trades we've cooked up. And they aren't necessarily trades we think will happen, although we've had some hits in the past, like Brendan Hagel to Tampa Bay. I think we had Yessi Pugliarvi, to the Canes last year. Jack, you had Patrick Kane to the Rangers a year too early, but still uh, true. And uh, we're going to try to cook up some fun trades. And I think the only rule we try to abide by is they have to involve players we have reason to believe would be available, and they have to be logistically possible under the cap and actually make sense. Other than that, uh, don't hold us too much to the details of returns, because I think like picks and prospects are pretty fungible, and, and we can arrange that accordingly. But it's going to be a fun one. And so hopefully this can serve as a bit of a primer for people getting ready for the March 8th trade deadline. And away we go. Tom, I'll give you the floor because you've been the the standout performer of past editions of the show. And so you've earned that. What's, uh, what's the first trade you've got? So I'm going to start with a trade that in some ways pays tribute to an annual tradition here, which is one team goes out and acquires an intact defensive pair from another team to help stabilize their their blue line group. And in this case, uh, I, you know, my idea here is that the Oilers upgrade their blue line, okay? And in the process, the Chicago Blackhawks get an adult, right? We, we've seen what sort of happened with the Blackhawks this year. Injuries have hollowed out a team that really wasn't supposed to be in the San Jose Sharks tier over the course of the season. They've been there and... Obviously, they just want bodies. Like, to some extent, they just want, like, responsible adult NHL players, men in the league, to help out fill out their roster and at least be a little bit respectable, and this sort of accomplishes both. So here's my here's my concept. The Philadelphia Flyers trade both Sean Walker and Nick Sealer to the Edmonton Oilers. Okay, so the Oilers get the right-handed second-pair upgrade in Walker, and they add another, like, physical, versatile sort of third pair guy who, you know, you can play him with Kulak. Both those guys can play right and left. You can play him with DeHarnay. Uh, you've got options. Edmonton comes out of this with a, with a deeper, better, more mobile defense core overall. Uh, in order to accomplish this, I'm going to have them pay a 2024 first and a 2025 third to the Philadelphia Flyers. But assuming that if the Flyers, who already have a log jam on the blue line and have been sort of uh, 
almost arbitrarily or, or in a cycle rotating their blue liners in and out of the lineup, assuming they don't have a ton of time for Cody Cece. I figured that, you know, maybe this is an opportunity where Chicago would be interested in just acquiring a free cap hit, like a free guy. They take his full cap hit. There's literally no acquisition cost in this deal on Chicago's end. Maybe in reality, they'd pay like a fifth to the Flyers or something to further juice their return for the privilege of having CC for the balance of the season and next year. But more than anything, I figured this trade would help illustrate a concept that's kind of been running in my mind, which is, you know, what happens when a team like the Blackhawks almost go too far in terms of the theory of like the perfect futures oriented rebuild and decide that in fact, one thing they value is like your Anthony Beauvillier, Cody CC class men in the league type player. Is there an opportunity for Chicago to act as a middleman at this trade deadline in a way we haven't seen before, not to simply be like a laundromat for cap hits with retention and picks coming their way, but instead, instead in those money in money out deals, could Chicago be like a clearinghouse for live NHL level bodies? And that's sort of the concept that, that I've been thinking about as the deadline approaches, um, you know, an opportunity perhaps for creativity that exists around the league. And I figured this was a good way to illustrate it. Edmonton gets Sealer and Walker. They pay some futures to the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers duck taking money back in the deal by instead shipping CC through Chicago. Hmm. I've heard that uh, at Netflix is currently in the works uh, developing a uh, a show that's going to be falling around Cody CC and Anthony Bovillier called Men in the League, um, but I think it's still in uh, <laughs> I think it's still in production. So so we'll see if that comes to fruition. That's an interesting one, Jack. What do you think about that? Because I think at first blush, it certainly makes sense. And credit to Tom for keeping the trend going of trying to basically transplant a full pair from one team to another. As we've noted, he initially was the innovator of the Carson Soucy, Mark Giordano trade from the Seattle Kraken at the time to the Boston Bruins. Many people called him a madman. Turns out he was a visionary and just ahead of his time because we've heard this idea of Sealer and Walker being packaged as a pair to whatever destination they go to. I just think that from Philadelphia's perspective, they would probably actually want to take on the last year of Cody Cece's deal um, just to, to kind of get minutes and rather than letting someone else get futures along the way for taking on that money because Philadelphia certainly um, you know, has deep pockets and is willing to to soak up costs if it means getting draft capital. But what do you think about that? What do you think about it from, I guess, the Oilers' perspective, most importantly? Um, not necessarily hitting two birds with one stone there, but addressing the defense position and clearly upgrading at that right side in particular. Yeah, well, I love that we hit full defense pairing and uh, three-way trade Right off the bat. <laughs> um, also, I've always gotten Carson Susie and Nick Steeler mixed up, so it's only fitting. <laughs> um, I, I I mean, I like this trade for, for Philadelphia, certainly. I think I agree with Dim that uh, them getting back, or them laundering CC through Chicago, you know, they I could see them actually wanting to hold on to him. Hmm. Um, but on the other hand... From the Edmonton perspective, the only question that I have uh, with that is Darnell Nurse, um, because they love playing Cody CC with Darnell Nurse. So I wonder how long Sealer and Walker would actually remain a pair there, um, and whether they'd be willing to play another right-handed defenseman in those big Darnell Nurse minutes. Because Nurse has got to get his big minutes because they're paying him sixty billion dollars a year. Um, but other than that, I mean, I like the fit for both players. I think Walker would be a great ad for, for Edmonton. And Sealer, I think Loki has been a very effective bottom pairing defensive defenseman lately. So I, I like it. I, I'd be curious to see how it would end up getting deployed uh, on the ice. Yeah, I guess what's interesting for me, I mean, they've certainly uh, thrived as a pair together this season. And Walker in particular would obviously add a, a dynamic to this Oilers blue line that they could certainly use. The Oilers are in this spot where they've got about Two point three five three seven five million in a room if they wait until March eighth and and shout out to Buckpedia who put together like a full comprehensive list of what teams cap situations would be like if they waited till March eighth so thank you for that um, without sending any money back right and basically this postseason and next postseason is all that really matters for the Oilers right Tom like I think every single decision that they make as an organization 
needs to just answer the one simple question of does this push us closer to winning a Stanley Cup in that time frame? Because in the summer of 2025, will be a 34, 30-year-old UFA. McDavid will be entering the final year of his deal. And so I guess my question then, if you're doing this, is do you leave yourself room to go out and make another addition, which in my opinion, I do think they still need to add a top six wing potentially with finishing talent to kind of capitalize on what McDavid and Dreisaitl create because their finishing this season has been relatively poor in that regard. So I guess that's kind of my one question there because obviously I love the idea of adding adding Walker and, and bringing Sealer. I certainly don't mind that either. Yeah, and I do think that's one of the sort of drawbacks of this trade is that it doesn't really leave the Oilers with, like you're, you're effectively spending much of, if not all of, the the space that you'd create by by shipping uh, CC out uh, on a defensive upgrade. Now, my personal view is uh, upgrading that right side beside Nurse is a bigger issue than their uh, sort of need for an additional winger. And I and I struggle to figure out how they address both. You know, short of the like Novak Carrier package that I'm sure someone has (laughs) and then that we'll get into at some point in this fake trade episode but i really find it difficult to find out how or to figure out ways for the oilers to address both um you know given their given their all-around cap situation and given the problem with the campbell deal uh you know short of paying to get off campbell which i mean that contract's not super unattractive to buy out maybe there's a you know, like like a, a version of L.A. retaining on Provorov that they could find out there, but that feels like more of an off-season move. And their and their need to upgrade, you know, two areas sorely, in my view, uh, with defense sort of being the standout need, uh, I think is is obviously too pressing to 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 wait on on clarity with Campbell. Yeah, Jack. I mean, clearly Tom's hit the nail on the head here. I think that. The priority number one is turning Cody CC's 3.25 million that he's owed next year, and obviously for the remainder of this year as a cap hit, into a legitimate uh, second pair right defenseman that can hopefully in the process not only be a better player, but can also service getting more out of Darnell Nurse by just making his like list of responsibilities on a nightly basis a bit more simplified and kind of hopefully get more out of him than they've been able to get with that pair the past couple of years. Uh, they've struggled together. I guess the concern is you look at the bottom six scoring and the last 20 games they've played 455 on five minutes without McDavid and Trace Idol on the ice and their bottom six as, as a group has generated nine goals in that time which comes out to about 1.2 goals per hour at 515 which is obviously unacceptable they're doing fine from like a possession and territorial perspective and they don't give up much defensively themselves so it's not like they're killing them but I just think finding a way to creatively manufacture some bottom six offense is key just to help lighten that burden. It's certainly not a new concept for the Oilers. I guess the shame of it here is like, speaking of Walker, I think the Konechny Walker package and just godfathering Philly for that as recently as a couple weeks ago, you almost couldn't have created a, a more logical package to fit all of Edmonton's needs in one, but they've sort of played themselves out of that because it seems like Konechny is going to be staying long-term in Philly and they're going to get a long-term extension with him done. Maybe you could tempt Danny Breer with a true godfather offer. He seems like he's just waiting for someone to entice him in that regard. But maybe that ship has passed. Did you have any, Jack, um, either kind of variations of this or other Oilers trades that you had in your mix that you think would be interesting for them? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because literally the the one that I have was specifically designed to address that, which uh, I went a different direction. Uh, I went with uh, Alex Carey out of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I have down Brett Kulak, but I mean, if we're talking about Cody CC is movable, then let's let's swap him out for Cody CC because that makes things a lot tidier. Uh, let's say Cody CC, and then I had the classic uh, Xavier Borgo plus second round pick in there too, which I feel like is the Halak uh, <laughs> Halak rider in a second of uh, the current Edmonton Oilers. But I I, I really like Gary as a player. I like that he's, you know, right now he's playing kind of bottom pair minutes, but he was obviously partnered with uh, Roman Yossi during that uh, that Norris season for for big chunks of it. Um, uh, Corey Schneider had a great 
point in one of his kind of mailbag uh, Substack pieces about how Carrier is a guy who doesn't necessarily jump off a statistical page all the time, but what he does do when it comes to retrieving the pucks and, and helping to facilitate zone exits, I feel like that would make Darnell Nurse's job a whole lot easier. Um, that seems to me like a really good stylistic fit um, and, and a big upgrade on CC. And, you know, I, I, again, even if Carrier isn't, you jumping off, you know, the, the hockey card stats or anything like that, he can generally be relied upon to put up pretty solid underlying results. Um, and, and I think the fit works there. Um, the question obviously is whether Nashville is going to make a priority out of moving him or whether they see him as a piece that they want to extend. But, uh, I, I like the fit there and I certainly think that he, that he does a lot for Darnell Nurse that Cody CC doesn't do. Yeah, one of the complicating factors for this entire exercise is I guess we just saw Tanev go off the board, so maybe that answers it from from Calgary's perspective. But whether it's them or the Predators or even the Flyers, these teams just keep winning games. And so they're like the most logical, theoretical suppliers for a lot of these moves, but they're just hanging around. And so we get to a point where you don't know how they're going to prioritize that as an organization and whether you're going to need to really go above and beyond to entice them to do something if it's going to be kind of a seller move. It's funny you had that though, Jack, and you can tell, I guess, that we sort of think along the same way, but I think maybe uh, spend too much time talking about hockey because I had Alexander Carrier with 60K of his deal retained. So I, I don't know what that would be in terms of a comp pick for a third-party broker. I think you could probably pull off like a six-round pick or something because it's just for the one year. So it's a very cheap pick to buy. But Alex, Alex Carrier and Gus Nyquist, who is 3.185 million next year as well, or Cody Cece, who's 3.25. So him and Nyquist and Cece essentially cancel each other out next season in terms of salary with prospects and picks. And I would obviously increase that package from just Borgo in second to maybe even talk about Broberg, include another pick as well. I really, I don't know if it would warrant it for that type of a trade, but I can't see any logical reason why the Oilers would still have their 2024 first and even 2025 first in their possession by March 9th. Like, just go all out with this team. As we said, the window is these next two seasons. And, you know, Nyquist is obviously a Kenny Holland guy. I think he's been fantastic this year for Nashville, playing on that top line with Ryan O'Reilly and, and Philip Forsberg. And also looked great last postseason when Minnesota acquired him in that Rama matchup against Dallas. And is an efficient scorer, I think, would answer a lot of those concerns in terms of whether you want to use him on the second line as a finisher or potentially put him on the third line and move guys like McLeod and RNH around as well. So it gives you flexibility and options. And I think that's as close as you can, I guess, without going that sort of Philly route with Konechny and Walker to addressing those two in a very tidy manner. It would be something like Nyquist and Carey, although Tom, you mentioned Tommy Novak as well. And I'm just personally trying to restrict myself from doing every single trade involving Tommy Novak here. So I wanted to shout out Gus Nyquist instead. I, I like the Nyquist fit. You know, we know that there's a level of familiarity, trust between Holland and him based off of, you know, him being a, an old school Red Wings player. And, you know, I, I think I, I don't I don't have this specific fake trade like mapped out, but I, I do sort of in the back of my head think that uh, in the event that Nashville decided to sell more aggressively, like, is there a cost, whether it's, you know, Holloway, Broberg, Borgo, all of the window dressing <laughs> Oilers futures you can imagine 2024 first 2025 first like is there a level at which you wouldn't pay the Predators to if you were if you were Holland in the Edmonton Oilers to try and get like Carrier one of Nyquist or Novak and and one of Soros or Lankinen depending on how high end you want to go um, you know, I think Lankinen's pretty good, to be totally honest with you. I know he's a Kevin Woodley favorite, so I'm just going to appeal to authority and move on. Um, I, I mean, to me, something like that, especially given the urgency that the Oilers should be feeling this season, makes a ton of sense. Uh, I, I don't even know if there's an amount that you would that wouldn't be worth doing. Like, I, I don't know that the Oilers could overpay in, in a deal, especially one obviously the return sorrows. Um, given where, given how good they are, and yet how flawed they are in certain limited areas on their roster. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you get to the West Final this year and you lose just barely, and then you're like, oh well, 
at least we still have our 2025 first in our back pocket. That that'll make us feel yeah. better right now, right? Like it, it it really in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter. Not that any of these moves would guarantee winning, but I think it would push you closer to that. I can tell Tom that you're a an efficient one stop shopper. You're just kind of walking down the aisle in Nashville, and you're just like, mm, <laughs> I'll take a little ass carrier here. I'll take a Golio right here. Give me a give me a forward as well. Let's uh, let's get everything here in the shopping bag. I also just want to note before we move on away from Carrier, like that's my favorite deadline target. I think that guy is going to make a huge difference in, in the event that he moves to a team with a realistic shot at, at making a deep run. I think the Predators could easily make the playoffs given their positioning and, and given the caliber of the competition in the West. But I, I don't see that team going anywhere, even if they do, um, you know, get into the first round. Uh, in the event that Carrier changes addresses, I, I think he's going to be a major X factor on the right team. Okay. Can I pitch you two guys while we're on the Oilers, and this is going to be the last Oilers trade I have, and then we'll, we'll move on. We're 20 minutes in here, so I think anyone still listening is clearly interested and wants the good stuff. So can I pitch you guys on a three-team trade that I had that I'm still trying to flesh out? I don't have the full details of it, but maybe you guys can help me work through it. Let's you can go. Work. Yeah, okay. The Oilers get Vladimir Tarasenko with 45% of his contract retained down to 2.25 million and Sean Walker who has the 2.65 million expiring. Ottawa gets Scott Rotten who has 3 million left for two more seasons. Philadelphia gets Cody Ceci and Josh Norris, who has $7.95 million for six more years. Now, he's owed as a base salary $9.5 million in each of the next three seasons, which would be a poison pill for a lot of teams that would be interested. I think the Flyers can certainly afford that. He's a 25-year-old legitimate goal scorer, particularly in the power play, which is, I think, something the Flyers are looking for long-term and moving forward. It's been their one real sort of sore spot this season. The issue is he's hurt again as we speak. He got hurt last night. He's constantly hurt. Um, it's a big commitment. It's $50 million in future obligations, certainly. I think that would be from Ottawa's perspective. We've heard a lot about how they fundamentally want to shake their team up. All right, well, how are you going to change that? You have to actually move one of these core players making a lot of money. He seems like the most logical one. Now, obviously, there will be picks involved here, right? Both mostly going from Edmonton, certainly, and splitting them up between Ottawa and Philly to make it worth their while from a future perspective. But it kind of buys Ottawa some flexibility this summer when all of a sudden they buy out Corpus Hollow as well. They have some money to actually improve their team and make changes. Down the middle, they're going Stutzla, Pinto, Greg, Lawton, and Philadelphia gets some high upside scoring, takes on the rest of CC's deal. Edmonton gets two birds with one stone here. Obviously, a lot of picks going uh, in both directions as well. But what do you guys think about that? I, I, mean, I mean, you go, Jack. Uh, Josh Norris is such a such a wild card. Like I was skeptical about that deal when they signed it. Um, I, I love the finishing touch from from outside. I was a little anxious about what else was under the hood for this player and and obviously this season has been kind of struggled back i just i and i and i get the logic of the new senators group wanting to shake things up i just wonder you know and obviously picks would make a big difference whether you give up on norris this this early or if you're selling this low on norris especially if what you're getting is cc lawton and then you know maybe a couple draft picks i could definitely see lawton as a guy who would appeal to to the senators but man that would be that would be selling low on on norris and and i mean i i see the logic who knows maybe a year from now he's going to be a, an absolutely unmovable player um but hey i mean it's, it's definitely interesting and it's just exactly the kind of deal that i love when we bring up on here because well, it just throws a complete wrench into everything to, to be clear to clarify cc's going to philly although it would be hilarious with the prodigal son returning to Ottawa, but basically, okay, the Sen- I misheard that. The Sens here are basically just downsizing Norris to Lawton, right? Getting out out of whatever long term right. risk they have in that fifty million dollar commitment to him, getting a player that I think is is valuable and I think would help them certainly, and I think they would value because of like the particular skill set he has, especially 
in combination with the other young centers they have. And then obviously, I think maybe you get a Broberg from Edmonton there, uh, picks as well. It would just give them flexibility, I guess, to actually make changes because one of the issues right now is that they actually, even with the team they have, and it's clearly not a successful one and they're unhappy with it, they don't have very many avenues for like significantly improving unless they make some sort of a step back like this financially to move forward in the future, right? Like they, they have a lot of money committed on very few guys right now. So I just don't know what the path would be to accomplishing that. So, and obviously from Philly's perspective, I mean, it's certainly risky, right? And it would be a, a pretty aggressive move that maybe would be falling in line more with like previous eras of Flyers hockey than this one. But I think if we're talking about how they creatively take a home run swing on like a goal scorer, if they're not going to pick high in the draft this season, this is one way to sort of do so. So I don't know. That's kind of why I was thinking about this, but certainly I think way too many moving parts, but at least makes you think a little bit. So I found that one interesting. Tom, what, what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, for me, the reason to do this deal, if you're the senators, is that you truly believe you need to shake it up, right? Like this would be just a, we believe that this group has done too much losing and we need a guy like Lawton to come in, you know, at, have some standards, just be a, be a breath of fresh air for our organization. I, I just, I love it for Philly. I think this is exactly the sort of, put it this way. There are teams that, that as built can't possibly win the Stanley cup, but could do something that builds a Stanley cup team elsewhere. Right. I think about the Florida Panthers when they rebuilt uh, and traded like Nathan Horton, right. And Dennis Seidenberg and Gregory Campbell to Boston and sort of helped them uh, win in 2011. Like, I, I I do think Ottawa's in a volatile spot where there's a ton of pieces that are, like, really high-end on the roster. It's just not working. They could absolutely be a team that, you know, builds a juggernaut elsewhere. Some teams should be sniffing around on this, and Philadelphia, especially in the wake of the cutter Goche uh, loss, you know, I, I think Norris is a, a perfect bet for them to try and place in the event that the Senators decide that they need to change things up. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. And I also feel like the Senators are going to have to blow things up so much on their blue line in the next little bit. True. I mean, with, with Chikrin, you know, that may or may not be foreshadowing. Um, and then obviously in goal with, with Corpus Allah, depending on what they can do with that. So I, I feel like they might end up shaking things up and creating some flexibility, even if Norris stays on the roster. Well, but who knows? I mean, he, he's such a wild card. Yeah. I didn't know really how to value him either because I think there's some people that view, would view it as like, wow, that's just $50 million in commitments over the next six years. That's like uh, just a yeah. stay away. Whereas obviously you can, the, the upside is tantalizing. So that's what makes it interesting. Tom, you posed the question of, well, if Ottawa's interested in shaking it up, they just played a full third period in a, in a one goal game last night where they had zero shots on goal yeah. and a two shot attempt. So I think they pretty clearly want to shake things up. I don't think that's an issue here, but obviously this would be a pretty massive step to take. But if they're going to significantly change something, they probably need to take a massive step. I don't know if working on the margins is necessarily going to accomplish what they're striving for. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's take our break here. And then when we come back, the three of us will jump right back into it and keep pitching each other on trades we'd like to see. You're listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDO cast doing our trades. We'd like to see did a part one. We've had a uh, we've had a few minutes here to all regroup after my big Josh Norris three teamer. Um, Jack, let's uh, before we keep going, let's talk a little bit about Chris Tanev to the Stars because as you as you noted off the top, right as we in typical fashion started recording, the trade came through, and I had a big spiel about one of my big trades being uh, Tanev and his partner. Noah Hannafin going to the stars and and a whole explanation for why that could happen. Now, obviously, just Tanev is going there involving New Jersey retaining part of the salary as well and getting a fourth for their effort. Um, let's talk a little bit about Tanev and the fit for Dallas and kind of Dallas's motivation to to win out on, on those sweepstakes because obviously there are a bunch of teams very interested and I think he's going to make a big difference for exactly for what they need. Yeah, I mean, the, he's just such a easy player to slot in. Like, you really have a tough time finding any team that wouldn't be made better by having Chris Tanis. I mean, what he brings defensively, 
his puck moving ability, just the sheer stability, um, how well he plays with kind of young, more adventurous uh, offensive defensemen as well. I mean, it, it really is all there. Um, you know, for Dallas, I think this is a move that they pretty much had to make. Uh, the right side of their defense was not looking very strong. Um, my my old nemesis Yanni Hockenbaugh was holding down. I think that second <laughs> that second pair. Um, you know, not what you want to see on a team that I think has legitimate cup aspirations this year. Um, and and I think he just gives them so much flexibility. I mean, right now, obviously Harley and Heiskanen is such a an excellent pairing, but you know, a, a Harley Kristana pairing. I mean, you couldn't really ask for anything better than that. Um, if ultimately that that's what ends up showing up at some point uh, in the postseason. Um, love the move, love the price, and I think that there's a bunch of teams right now who should be kicking themselves that they didn't uh, prioritize adding him. Tom, they're, the Stars are in a very interesting spot, right? Because they made it to the West Final last year, and I would argue, I know you and I have had many arguments about this, but right now with the way things are headed, they're in a much better position than they were last year with Thomas Harley's emergence into a top caliber, or top pair caliber defenseman and getting the the usage to reflect that. Matt Duchesne is kind of a souped up version of what Max Domi gave them after the trade deadline last year and has helped unlock Sagan and Marchman as a scoring line. And we've only seen a couple games so far of Logan Stankoven, but him and Wyatt Johnston certainly seem to be a handful down low and just give them a whole different uh, sort of dynamic for other teams to try to defend and another scoring line in that. So there's been a lot of buzz about them being linked to Tanev and Hannafin as well. And that's kind of why I wanted to tie those two in because in watching their game against the Avs last night, they were using this Ryan Suter, Essa Lindell pair out there against the McKinnon, Miko Rantanen line. And, and not that any pair is going to give you a chance to to hold your own against them, but you could just tell they were almost playing different sports in terms of the pace they're able to play at. And so with those two guys and Yanni Hockenpah, as Jack mentioned, the foot speed just wasn't there, right? And so now Tanev certainly gives them a nice compliment if you want to play him with Harley. You could potentially move Haskin in to his strong side as well. He gives you all sorts of options, and I think there's still work to be done here. But they're in this virtual sort of tie right now with the Jets and Avs for first in the Central, right? And whichever team doesn't win that is going to have to play the other team in round one. And even if the Stars somehow win the Central, they're going to eventually have to either go through Colorado or Vegas or Edmonton or a dominant rush team. And so I think adding a guy like Tanev just gives them such a better chance of competing in that type of environment. The, I mean, there's no question. And, you know, Tanev's so smart. I think you can play him all over their lineup. Like, I think he could, I don't know if you have enough speed if you play him with Suter, but I definitely think you could play him with Lindell on almost a throwback shutdown pair. I definitely think he could help elevate Miro Haskinen. He was a great fit uh, in previous seasons with Quinn Hughes. Um, you know, he definitely looked good uh, on occasion with Shillington, with Uyghur. Uh, so, you know, he knows how to support puck movers. He's got enough skill to, you know, he still takes a little bit off the table offensively, but he's got enough skill that I don't think he hurts you too badly if you play him with a, a Haskinen type. Uh, there, there's just an awful lot that he brings. The the Stankoven thing that you brought up does modify, I think, the star ceiling, especially given that Stankoven looks like a day one difference maker at the NHL level. If that's true, if that continues, if that's not just, you know, new call up adrenaline, and, and I don't think we have any reason to think it is based off of Stankoven's dominance of every level he's been at for the last five years, uh, you know, uh, that team becomes a lot more interesting than they were I mean, even two hours ago, even before we started recording this and they pulled the trigger on a Tanev deal. I, I, look, it's great value uh, getting the double retention. Now, I'm sure we all had fake Chris Tanev trades. I'm sure we all had fake Chris Tanev trades to Dallas. Mm -hmm. I certainly did. Do you want to see who got closest to what it actually looked like? Well, I'll tell you mine and then Jack can go and then and then, and then you can tell us what yours was because I had... Niels Lundqvist, Ty Delandria, 2024 first, 2026 second, and Christian Cairo for Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanner. Uh oh, right. And that was under the oh. that was under the impression that Tyler Sagan would be LTIR eligible. He's kind of week to week right now. I'm not sure, and so maybe that just wasn't an option. And so they they had to go this retention route and couldn't embrace getting both guys. Um, 
but I would have been so fascinated by that because I had this whole bit about, I was like, Tom, I finally beat you to it with a, with a full pair trade, going to a team. And I was so proud of myself with it. And I thought this would have been the ultimate kind of push all your chips into the middle of the table trade for them. And then obviously you play the season out, you can retain Hannafin, you let kind of go and thank him for his service. But here, here's the thing. Jim Nell now has just never traded first. Like he was hired in 2013 and last year's draft was the first one since he's been running the stars where they didn't have a first round pick. And that was because they used that to acquire Niels Lundqvist, who was a 22 year old defender still at his ELC. And so I don't blame him for it. Like everyone knows by now that the stars clearly have some sort of special sauce in terms of drafting and developing. And they're so well set up for the future by getting all this legit young talent to just constantly keep coming in into their lineup. So I don't blame them for it, but I was really fascinated by the idea of kind of taking that home run approach and uh, and going with with the double uh, defenseman addition. Jack, what did uh, what did you have? Do you have any sort of um, parallel to this or, or trade involving kind of the stars? No, I stayed away from the stars because I figured that it would one one of you guys at least was going to cover it. So I had one pretty boring trade to the Leafs, just like first round pick. That was nice. I thought he'd be a good fit with Riley. Um, and then I had one more bonkers one where I pretended that Justin Hole would waive his no trade clause to go to Calgary, and he would and uh, Tanev to the Dallas Star or to the Detroit Red Wings, sorry, so that Moritz Sider wouldn't have to spend 120 percent of his shifts stuck in the defensive zone against Nathan <laughs> McKinnon's and Sidney Crosby's and them. But oh well, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Dallas, Dallas will be a fun spot for him. The 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 Riley Tanev pair is something we could still see. Just not until next season after free agency now. I feel like we've been talking about it for 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> we probably have. And, and you know, I think Toronto, Vancouver are definitely going to be two teams to watch on the Tanev front come this summer, even if both were bridesmaids in the in the bidding for him ahead of the deadline. I actually got pretty close, gentlemen. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with my um with my uh, with how close I got. I had I'm not kidding here. Chris Tanev to Dallas with double retention. I didn't know who was it was going to be. I sort of made it a bit over the course of uh, prepping my fake trades where everyone who got washed on a double retention trade went through Minnesota. That was kind of everyone, every three-way trade that I have goes through Minnesota. So I had Minnesota getting a fourth-round pick for the privilege of uh, of washing half of Chris Tanev's deal, and I had Calgary getting back a 2024 second-round pick. And Tristan Bertucci, another left-handed defenseman, they got a they got a different left-handed defenseman, a slightly older one in the Flame system. I didn't have the conditional third, but I'd say I got pretty close there to what actually happened. Ah, uh, well, I actually had Cole Brady going back to the Stars as well, and Artem Grushnikov <laughs> going in Flames. So I think I was a little bit closer than you, but you know, fair. A little bit both, closer than me, yeah. We were both pretty close. Um, no, I mean, you hinted at this with with sort of the the Hughes comment there, and obviously you got to watch that up close, Tom, but. Tanev has just had a track record of making life easier for all of his partners. And I, I noted this on the show last week. If you go you go and look at the, the numbers for Noah Hannafin, who I'm sure we're going to talk about at some point, with Tanev versus someone like Rasmus Anderson, there's a massive difference. And I think a big part of it is, like, beyond all the defensive stuff, Tanev is just so subtly good at going back, playing the puck, taking a massive hit from a four-checker, but passing it off to his partner and allowing a guy like Hanif to, Hanifin to just skated out of the zone whereas previously he wasn't afforded that luxury and so thinking about that with potentially either Harley or Haskinen those guys are going to love that it's just going to take so much wear and tear off of them as well down the stretch here so I love that fit okay Tom I think you're up next here with uh with your next fake trade because me and Jack did ours most recently all right I've got a strange one I've got a strange one and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it so my theory here, my operating theory here is that the New York Rangers need to avoid the marquee name at the trade deadline. What they need are guys, forward depth in particular, guys who can help them meaningfully drive play, right? there's, there's This power play is so good. Panarin and company are are going to handle the shooting efficiency. What what you need is just like sturdy two-way guys, right? Um, there's a reason that Petrano and Mott fit the bill and Kane and Tarasenko didn't. So I was trying to come up with the best multiple play drivers to deepen the Rangers lineup deal that I could come up with. And here's something 
a little bit out of left field that occurred to me. So this trade would involve Seattle acquiring from the New York Rangers Capo Caco, who costs about two two plus million on a, on, a, on an expiring deal and is an RFA after the season. In exchange, they would send Alexander Wenberg and Jordan Eberle to the New York Rangers. Eberle would be washed through Minnesota <laughs> uh, for a 2024 fourth round pick. So double retention on Eberle. This trade just works under the cap. Like uh, the Rangers would have to send someone down. But given that you're subtracting Kako from the roster, you're going to have to make space anyway. So that frees up the the 750 to 850K required for the Rangers to have added Wenberg uh, as sort of a Heedle replacement and bolstered their forward group even further with a player in Jordan Eberle, who I still think has it. Like, I still think Eberle's really, really good. I think he'd be a phenomenal fit in a depth role with the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly with you on that concept of substance versus flash and what we've seen from them in the past couple of years and kind of trying to avoid some of those pitfalls that they did last year. I That's why I really do not understand. I know they need a center, but it seems like everyone in the PHWA got a memo to push Adam Henrique as the solution to every team that needs a player down the middle. And beyond him being a center, I don't really see that as a fit. Like when you watch this Rangers team play, they need more foot speed from their forwards. Part of the reason why they've been getting crushed so much off the rush against the season is because they're playing up the ice with their forwards aggressively under Peter Laviolette, but then their forwards just simply don't have the speed to backtrack quickly enough. And so they're kind of leaving their defensemen on an island and they've been getting burned. Now it's been better recently. And I think their goaltending in US Restricted has helped a lot with that. But I kind of want to see them add players who can provide some defensive foot speed and kind of support the defense and play with pace and obviously provide some skill as well. They need both a top six right winger and a third line center. So this was a kind of accomplished two birds with one stone. What do you think about uh, this option for the Rangers, Jack? Uh, I mean, I love Jordan Everly. I totally agree with, uh, with with Thomas here that that I think he could be the sneaky pickup of the deadline if uh, if he comes yeah. up. I, I I had him uh, on my list. I had him going to Edmonton actually. Um, but so I'm, I'm 100 with you on on Jordan Everly. Wenberg, I think is interesting. I'm not hugely hugely high on him, but I, I do see him as potentially a nice discount option, especially if Adam Henrique goes for seven first round picks because you know he's a center. And he's the only center anybody can really think of right now. Um, I I think it's an interesting trade. I, like and and I I like Capo Caco as a guy that uh, the, Seattle would be interested in. I think he fits their mo. I think he would honestly fit in quite well there. So I like all the pieces of it. As while Dimitri was talking, I was kind of thinking about a guy who's been showing up on a lot of trade boards. Uh, recently, which is Warren Fogel from Edmonton, mm. if he has to be a cap casualty there. I wonder whether there might be a fit with Fogel and the Rangers, because I mean, anybody who has watched an Edmonton Oilers game knows that he has plenty of foot speed, because when he skates really fast, the 37 looks a lot like a 97, <laughs> and then you feel really stupid when he misses the net by 10 feet. <laughs> so I, I like where I like where everyone's at is here, honestly. I think we did a nice job Uh Race on this one, but uh, translate. I think this is some good work. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like that. I had um, I had Tommy Novak, who's uh, we're getting paid by the reference for Tommy Novak. Not Novak here, by the way. So the more times you can shout him out, the uh, the more money coming to you guys. Tommy Novak and the aforementioned Gustav Nyquist, who have about four million combined. Um, in ex- and and that the Rangers could basically fit that with their cap space right now and obviously it would be a picks package going back the other way to Nashville but I'm not sure what Nashville's appetite right now is just doing purely two key contributors up front for just futures but something like that to kind of two birds with one stone similar to what Tom did makes a lot of sense to me and so that's interesting I'd be a bit wary I get what you're trying to accomplish and Jordan Eberle is certainly provides a, a bigger offensive dynamic but Jack I know you've been talking about this as well recently like when we've seen Kako play on that top line with Kreider and Zabinajad, I know that people get frustrated because the shots don't turn into goals that often and it just might never at this point. 
but their underlying numbers are so good together. They're just able to dominate the game in a way that the Rangers typically aren't. And even when they've struggled in the past more than they have this year, that trio has just been able to hold their own territorially and keep the other team pinned and do stuff that the other players in the Rangers just can't. And so I want to see more of those three guys playing together and seeing if you can unlock more of it. And maybe the answer is you can't, and it just is what it is at this point. But we're going on three years now, nearly 700 515 minutes of Kako playing with Zabinajad and Kreider and them just dominating at 515. So you're getting better because you're adding two contributors in this capacity, but also I don't love sacrificing Kako as a result of doing so or as a means of doing so. Yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, they, they control goals too. You know, Kako's not getting them, but like, I think they have like a 65% goal share the past two years with that trio together. So I agree. And, and honestly, it would make their job a lot easier. But uh, philosophically, though, I think that still fits with with Thomas's idea of getting some play drivers that can slot in on uh, on the Rangers. It just makes it even easier if you're talking about guys who are going to be at the bottom six instead of having to come up with the with the top six option like Jordan Eberle. I went completely away from that philosophy with my Rangers trade, by the way. Okay, well, give us one. Literally the exact, the exact opposite. We've got about five minutes here before we're going to go to another break and move on to a part two. So uh, give us give us whatever that, that Rangers trade is. Nope, it's going to take a lot more than five minutes to get through this one. <laughs> uh, all right, well, why, don't I, why don't I get like a bite-sized one if we got five okay. minutes? Okay, yeah, give us a call. Yeah. Okay. Colorado does not get Adam Henrique, although well, I think that probably is the place that makes the most sense for Henrique out of all of the... Uh, all the options people come up with. Uh, I have the Colorado Avalanche taking a flyer on the expiring UFA contract of Jack Roslovic mm. uh, and in return to Columbus sending uh, a, an old friend, Ryan Johansson, who makes the exact same amount of money as Roslovic does. Uh, he has it for one more year. Um, and then adding, I, I put on a 2025 third round pick I, you know, maybe it has to be a little bit more because of that extra year on, on Johansson. But the logic being here that Johansson, I, I think, really hasn't worked. They're playing him in fourth line minutes. In Columbus, he can eat some minutes while they try to rejig the roster in the summer and, and, and figure out what's going on. Plus, he adds that veteran presence and he can teach Adam Fantilli about being a high draft pick playing in Columbus, I guess, or something like that. Plus, Columbus just gets a draft pick for the trouble. And from the Avalanche perspective, you know, I, I Roslovic creates primary assists at a very high rate at five on five. He usually plays about third line minutes. He's a creative stick handler. He's limited in a lot of other areas of the game. But if there's something there, I would trust Colorado to find out. And if worse comes to worse, they can just keep playing Ross Colton uh, in, in that second line center role. Yeah, the Rigel thing has been a miss. I kind of got the logic of it at the time of, of the trade, but you just were watching it on the ice and kind of playing out the style they play as a team and kind of the baseline you have to clear from like an activity and pace perspective just doesn't match. And that would be one of my concerns about Henrique, who's like much more differential in that regard. Now they have the wingers, I guess, theoretically insulate him and he can play more of a sort of central controlling role, but that would be alarming. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I know that uh, you're a, you, you've got a lot of Jack Roslovich trades, maybe not specifically today, but in the past, you, you, you've, you've been pitching me on a lot of Roslovich stuff. Well, Roslovic was always the nightmare scenario of a potential Bo Horvat and or Connor Garland return, right? Like my template for a trade I didn't want to see the Canucks make for Bo Horvat was Roslovic, Peak, and a draft pick, right? Uh, that was always the nightmare scenario. So that's sort of why the Roslovic stuff's always come up. Um, you know, in, in his younger days, I thought Roslovic would at least be a really sick operator on the power play. Um, I don't think he's really delivered on that. So I, I kind of think you end up with a, a sort of a one dimensional guy uh, to me, for me anyway, I don't know that he's enough of an upgrade on Ryan Johansson. Like that, that's just my, my concern there. I, I don't know that he changes that way too common dynamic for the avalanche. Uh, I call it the too many guys, not enough dudes problem where you look up at the end of a game and you're like, wow, they had eight shots on goal when Nathan McKinnon wasn't on the ice and, you know, 30 all told. Um, does Roslovic sort of do enough to address that? I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I'll, I'll, I'll throw my, do we have time? I'll throw my quick 
Colorado finds some dudes trade at you guys because I obviously went down this path as well. And it was um it was a trade that doesn't actually merit all that much discussion, but it was just my preference for Colorado is to try and find like a volume of dudes who can hang or a volume of guys who can hang. Um, and ideally a dude or two, as opposed to the way they've had it structured right now with Johansson. So I, I had two Washington, Ryan Johansson, a 2024 first, a 2025 third and Jean-Luc Foody, uh, Acquiring from Colorado, Obey Kubel, Nick Dowd, and Anthony Mantha with double retention. Minnesota getting a 2025 fourth round pick in the deal, as they always do in all my fake trades. That was sort of my thinking was, you bring back the guy who dropped the cup, you take a flyer on Mantha and hope he can bring like just a little bit of offensive sizzle to your bottom six, and, and you bring in Nick Dowd so that at least with Colton and Dowd, you've got, you know, two pretty robust um, middle six centers. I, I still don't think it solves their, well, those guys certainly aren't JT Comfort problem, but I uh, I think it gets them, uh, you know, uh, hopefully a little closer to at least holding serve when, they're, when their big five aren't on the ice. I guess my concern about that is, and we'll see how it plays out, but a lot of the reporting has been Washington being quite optimistic that they'll be able to get a nice return for just Nick Dowd in isolation and so taking back right johansson's dead money essentially and also adding other pieces that they could theoretically get stuff from in other trades it's going to require a pretty big return for colorado here and i'm not sure if it moves the needle enough to justify that like this avalanche team is something else and and a lot of this might just be solved by nichushkin being like back on the ice and lekkanen being healthy after missing a lot of the season but they've scored the same number of goals at 5-1-5 with Nathan McKinnon on the ice in 1,000 minutes as they have without him in like 1,800 plus. And they like they just need to find ways to have positive shifts when he's not out there. So some of these guys certainly accomplish that, even if they're not scoring themselves. But I don't know if it moves the needle enough to justify it. So I'm not sure if I like that approach. But here's the thing. I've got a massive whopper of an avalanche trade that I'm going to pitch you guys on when we come back in part two of the show so looking forward to that. Guys, we'll take a break here, and then we'll come back and we'll pick things right back up. You're listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.